Got your Bibles, open them up to Joshua chapter 10, please. I really do hope it's been a good launch to your new year, even if there have been some difficult things that you've already had to face. I don't know if you're a journaler, but I am. I love to journal. It's kind of off and on sometimes, but probably more on than off. Because doing so allows me to reflect back on some prayers that I've prayed, some plans that we've laid, uh, to see how God's revealed himself in those plans, sometimes in spite of them, sometimes through them, sometimes around them. And it's a place where I record stories and quotes that always impact me throughout the year, though. This morning I want to share a quote from last year and a story from the reading of the Old Testament that I'm in this year. The first is the quote. Before we read it, I want to, I want to launch by asking this. I don't, I don't know what fears you face in 2019. But I do know this. Before 2019 is over, you're going to face some. And the words, I think, of C.S. Lewis are worth remembering. Feed your fears and your faith will struggle. But you feed your faith and your fears will starve. Love that. Feed your fears and your faith will struggle. Ah, but if you feed your faith, your fears will starve. I don't think it's anything but God's timing, having seen that quote this last week as I kind of went back through 2018 and all the things that were journaled there and how it coincided with the reading in Joshua that we're going to look at in a few moments ago. But I hope the truth is found in both the reading and this quote help launch your new year in a very special way. When we wrapped up the study in John, that was pretty much the focus of my time in devotional with God, is just rereading the text over and over and over again. And so I asked God, where do you want me to go um, this next year? And um, it was impressed on, upon me to spend some time in Joshua, and so I started reading the stories in Joshua, and there's some incredible, incredible stories there. And I love it because that's our, that's our family. It's our family history. The Bible continually tries to paint this picture of this, this giant tree with roots. And we've been grafted into that tree. The church isn't the tree. It's part of this incredible family of God. And, and that visual of us being a part of that. But every now and then I need to be reminded of my ancestors and how they have tried their best to walk in faith as we're trying also. One of the great stories is found in Joshua chapter 10. And I, I want to launch this year with this particular text because some of you may have walked in here with a fear that absolutely has you frozen in your tracks. You don't know how to move next. And if that's true, God has a word for you. I promise. See, Joshua had been given a bold mission to take the children of Israel into the land of promise. The journey began as many of you know, with Moses delivering the people from Egyptian bondage, but the reins were passed to him when Moses died. Joshua becomes the poor man for leading the people into this land of promise. And many of you also know that a generation before had stood at the same river Jordan that he and the multitudes of Israel were standing at. But they didn't have the courage to cross. 
They were afraid. They were met with a fear about obstacles that stood in their way between them and a future God so very much wanted them to experience. And they chose to settle for something much more mundane. As a matter of fact, here was the epitaph of the generation before. Israel spent a lifetime walking in circles and going to funerals. In the chapter we're about to read, the children have been raised up. And they're standing in the same place that their parents stood before. And God says to Joshua three times in chapter 1. Now you be strong. And you be courageous. God was saying if you want a future that's greater than the one of your parents, it's going to require some courage. And let's just get that straight right up front. Now many of you know the Israelites do cross that river. And and we know about them marching around the walls of Jericho and the walls falling down story. But when we come to chapter 10, it's a story that we don't talk about much. Doesn't get discussed much in Bible class or even children's worship or wherever. Let me set the context for you because it's a little bit strange. Israel's entered the promised land, and just as God had promised, they are rolling over enemy after enemy. Every nation that they've gone to war against, they are successful with. And there are people who live in the land who are called the Gibeonites who take note of that. <laughs> and they realize that they're, they're no match for this army, that this God of Israel's is leading. So they put together this very clever ruse. A clever deception. They put on old clothes and they put on these worn out sandals and they put some moldy food in their saddlebags and they show up at Gilgal where the nation of Israel is encamped and they say to Joshua, we have traveled a long, long time from a a land far, far away because that's how far your reputation has gone and we want to come and make a peace treaty with you because we realize how great is your God. The scripture says, Joshua didn't inquire about any of this to the Lord. And he signs a peace treaty with these people, and the nations of the, uh, the leaders of the Israelite nation, they ratify it, meaning as long as you Gibeonites are alive, we'll protect you. And we're hoping that as long as we're alive, you'll protect us. Now remember, Joshua is agreeing to protect the nation, unbeknownst to him that God was told to drive out because he's been fooled. And fooled for one reason only. He didn't inquire of the Lord. Well, the other neighboring Canaanite nations hear what the Gibeonites have done. And they determine they're going to test this little accord. And in a short time, they declare war on Gibeon. Five different kings and their armies come together to fight them. And the Gibeonites call out to Joshua, hey, remember your promise. You said you would protect us. And so the Canaanites that are going to war against other Canaanites and the Israelites are coming up to defend those who they're supposed to drive out. Again, for one reason, they didn't inquire of the Lord. Let's pick up the story in verse 6. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua and in the camp of Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all of his best fighting men. And the Lord said to Joshua, why are you bothering me? You made your bed, go lie in it. <laughs> no, it's not up there, is it? He said, do not be afraid of them. 
I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now, why would Joshua have any account to be afraid? He'd been a part of a victory after victory after victory. The guy is zero losses in the lost column. And you know the reason. It's because the battle that they're now engaging in, God's not sent them into. This is a battle that he got into on his own because he didn't inquire of the Lord. I've said that now four times already in this message because it's, it's a powerful thing to, to remember and to take into 2019. And I want to say as a family, we want to walk together with you through anything that you face in 2019. But there are some battles you don't have to fight if you will inquire of the Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20, we are not our own. We're his. That's where we start. We're his. We belong to him. Our money belongs to him. Our marriages belong to him. Our purity belongs to him. Our futures, our job, everything belongs to him. And he would like to be included in the decisions about that finance and about that marriage and about that employment. He'd like to be. And it could save us a lot of grief this year. So on the edge of, of, of stepping our first few steps into 2019, I just want to remind you, inquire of the Lord. But if you don't, if you don't and it, it just becomes a mess, don't let Satan win twice. Bring that mess to the Lord. That's what Joshua did. And God says, I'm with you. I'm not going to abandon you. I would I just soon equip you to overcome what's facing you. I don't think they were expecting that. I think it was just as much a sweet word to Joshua as it would be to any one of us today. And maybe, just maybe, you've made some alliances you had no business making in 2018, and you haven't broken free from them yet. Today can be that day. But if you haven't, God still says, would you bring that mess to me? And this text is going to say, your past mistakes do not disqualify you from the future blessing God wants you to have. Powerful, powerful text. That the worst thing you did in 2018 does not disqualify you from the blessings God wants you to experience in 2019. Man, I'm so glad I don't have to make this stuff up. <laughs> At Jericho, God said, I have delivered them into your hand. Go, go fight. And God's saying the same thing here, even to the Gibeonites. I've had you in the palm of my hand, and even this bold of mistake isn't going to remove you from it. Don't take my word for it. Take his in Joshua chapter 10 and verse 9. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. And the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. And so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. And Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Haran. And they cut them all the way down to Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran and to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down upon them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Kate, aren't you glad I didn't have you read those names? <laughs> what an amazing victory! 
God so makes it clear that he is fighting for his people, not by increasing their prowess with with swords and strategy, but with natural disasters to boot. He first throws the enemies into confusion, and then he sends smart bomb hailstones on their heads. And I would have loved to have seen that. Can you imagine? Because if you're at a football game and it starts to hail, and it's only hailing on the opposing team, wouldn't you think that cool? That's what they got to see. But this is more of a skirmish that's decided. This is a statement that's delivered. Because the Canaanites worship the gods of nature. They worship the God of the storm, the God of the sun. And God used those things that they worship to make a statement. He is the only God in heaven and earth. Jehovah is the God of the nation of Israel. And that statement is made most profoundly with what happens next. Joshua is fighting five different kings, remember. And he needs to destroy them all before the sun sets because when darkness came in their day, they had no night vision goggles. At night, the advantage swung to the home team who knew the terrain and the territory. They had time to to retreat and to regroup. And so Joshua, in front of his entire army, remembers what God said in chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. And he makes one of the most bold requests of God ever recorded in Scripture. And here it is. On the day that the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, you stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. And you know what? The sun stood still, and the moon stopped. Till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as was written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. And there has never been a day like it or before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Now you know this is a big deal because the scripture itself says, this is a big deal. Nothing before, nothing since has been like this request made of God. I think he's trying to say that when Joshua prayed, the angel at the prayer desk turned to Gabriel and said, the boss isn't going to believe this one. He wants us to stop the sun. And he did. Man, that makes me smile. That some way, somehow, that God literally hits the solar pause button. And even though I can't explain that with physics any more than Joshua could, I believe it. And you say, well, Jimmy, that that defies the laws of nature. Well, yeah, like when Jesus used water for a path across a lake and walked on it. And if he wanted to make water into wine instantaneously, he just did. If he wanted fish to swim into a net, they did so. If he wanted a storm to calm down, all he had to say was enough of that. And it did. If he wanted a dead body to come out of a grave, he just spoke its name and boom, out came Lazarus. God does not have to obey the laws of nature because he created the laws of nature. Amen? He created them. That's why David would sing, the day is yours. Yours also is the night. You established the sun and the moon. He could sing it because night and day do belong to God. They're his creation and they serve his purposes. But the most incredible aspect of this story is not what God did. The most incredible thing is that a man had the courage to ask for it. 
That's the thing that stuns me. Here's the takeaway for this particular weekend. It is this. It's, it's the courageous who witness the outrageous. If there's something that I want you to remember all through 2019, it's got to be this. It is the courageous who witness the outrageous. You can't miss this from the text. God seems to be saying that the outrageous includes asking God even to hit the pause button on the sun setting. Now, why would God allow this story to be put in Scripture? Could it, could it not, could we not misunderstand it, not, not know how to apply it? No, I think God wants us to always understand, I fight for my people. I fight for them. I've always been doing the stunning and the amazing. Don't stop believing I have now. But if we would rather spend our time walking in circles and holding funerals, you know what? He'll let us. And if we settle on that, please, church, don't claim that God's less faithful or less active. How about let's own the fact sometimes we're just too fearful even to ask. It really is a courageous that witness the outrageous because they don't do two things. Number one, they don't pray small. Charles Swindoll was speaking at the Moody Bible Institute on God's ability to provide always. When he finished, a woman came up to him and gave him a note. He didn't have time to read it there, but he read it when he got back to his hotel room. He opened it up, and here's what it said. Dear Mr. Swindoll, God has always provided for me. And the way he has done so keeps a smile on my face. And believe me, staying in good humor is necessary when you give birth to 12 children. A project that began, she writes, not until I was married at 31 and gave birth to my first child at 32. She said, I never worried about getting married, though. I left my future in God's hands, and I did so every night. I would take a pair of men's trousers, and I would hang them on the bedpost. And here's what I would pray. Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant it if you can. I have hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. Chuck said, I laughed and I laughed and I, I took it home to my church. He said, I didn't have a sermon really where I could plant that in it. And he said, so I just told them the story anyway. And he said, they just laughed. He especially noticed a, a dad and a son who was sitting on the front row. I noticed that the wife wasn't there, a good friend of ours, and she was homesick. I found out later. But I noticed that the dad was laughing. The son was looking rather serious. He said, it all came back to me this the next week when I got a letter from the mom who was sick. She said, dear Chuck. I was wondering if I have something to worry about. I notice that when our son goes to bed at night now, he gets on his knees to pray. And he's also put a bikini at the head of his bed. <laughs> big dreams hinge on big prayers, church. And I'm convinced big prayers reflect how big you believe your God to be. So let me ask this question. How big was the biggest prayer you prayed in 2018? When Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray big. Even from the beginning. He said, you start that prayer remembering this. My Father who's in heaven. Fathers who love their kids, love to bless them as audaciously as they can handle. And a Father who's in heaven, while they... That defies all the limits of our earth. 
Jesus says, start there. Big prayers reflect our big or small view of God. The courageous don't pray small. Because we're praying to a Father who's in heaven. Church, please, I hope if you understand anything in 2019 that it comes to finally grab your heart. Prayer isn't a duty. It's a defiant act of resistance to the way things are. Prayer declares that the way things are is not the way things have to be. Prayer is asking God to come into history and to intervene on the behalf of his people. And his story is full of moments of both men and women to encourage us to do the same. He never wants us to ask small. I love what Tony Evans says. He says, when it comes to prayer, our audacity will never exceed God's capacity. (laughs) Our audacity will never exceed God's capacity. You have never prayed a prayer, friend, so audacious that it will exceed the capacity of God. Jesus says so himself. Listen to what he says in Mark 11. Truly I tell you, if anybody says to this mountain, go throw yourselves into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for them. You don't have to be afraid that what you're asking is too big. If what you're asking is going to bring God glory and and take the message of his salvation to the ends of the earth, ask away. It's the things that we ask for sometimes that, that don't fit in those categories at all. So scripture invites us to believe that God wants to hear big, bold, outrageous prayers because God loves to do big, bold, outrageous things for his people. Never doubt that. In the 1960s, one of the greatest golfers in the world was a man by the name of Arnold Palmer. The king of Saudi Arabia invited him to come and offer an exhibition, and he did. The king was so impressed that he sent a servant to Mr. Palmer's room and said, the king would like to give a gift to you. And in typical Westerner style, Palmer said, ah, the hospitality has been great here. He didn't have to do anything. He said, oh, no, it would be rude not to ask for a gift. For something. And so Palmer shrugged and said, well, the king can give me a golf club. And according to the story, the servant returned with a signed deed to a 300-acre golf club. (laughs) Moral of the story is if you're asking the king for anything, why not ask big? I don't know how much truth there is to that story, honestly. But I could tell you a really outlandish story. And I'm going to tell it to a group of people that I know make up different ages, different races, different economic situations, different places of origin, but are united by one outrageous story. We believe that a God that we cannot see made everything that we can see just because he spoke. We believe that that same God flooded the earth and started over We believe that God separated the sea with a stick and just a prayer. We believe that he breathed on a valley of dry bones. You just sang about it a few moments ago. And in a moment turned it into a standing army. And if that sounds outrageous, we're just getting started. That he decided to become a man. This God who was so desperate to redeem his kids decided he would become a man. The created became one of his creations. And he became an embryo surrounded by amniotic fluid of a virgin. 
And he was birthed and he crawled and he grew into an adult and lived most of his life as an ordinary carpenter's son. But then God called him into the ministry. And he lived both that ministry and his life as a carpenter's son without sin. Healing the sick, raising the dead, and he preached the good news of God's favor over and above God's judgment of the world. And they killed him for it. And they put him in a tomb. But three days later, he busted out because death couldn't hold him. And he's promised that now that since he's ascended to the heavens of the Father, that one day when the trumpet blows, he will come and he will take all of those who put faith in this outrageous story home with him. Now that's an outrageous story. But if you believe it like I believe it, church, why do we pray puny prayers? Why? Why would we settle for a life with Jesus' name on it that looks a lot like walking in circles and just going to funerals? The courageous don't pray small and they don't stand still. Joshua didn't just present God with a wish list, he enlisted Remember the all-night march that he made? That was a 26-mile hike up 4,000 feet in elevation in full battle gear. In one night, they completed a marathon because Joshua didn't ask for courageous intervention without courageous participation. He prayed to God to make the sun stand still because he wouldn't stand still. And friend, if you want to see the outrageous in your life, I promise you, most often when you ask for it, you've got to get in it you got to pursue it with all that you have. <laughs> Times, I mean, we've all been struck with a thought, or maybe we've even said it out loud, oh, I wish God would show up. We're just going to wait on him. And we make it sound as if he's this God, who's this old man who's out of breath and, and walking uphill and saying, would you all just slow down till I can get there? And I hate that. Because the problem is not God not showing up. It's that we don't show up. We don't show up. We want to ask God to do the impossible, and we just refuse to be amongst the uncomfortable. Don't ask me to do something that I'm not sure about, I'm a little nervous about, I'm a little uncomfortable doing. It's the courageous who act, church, that often witness the outrageous that they ask for. You know, I just love this. It's my favorite prayer in Acts chapter 4. The church is being told, you need to stop this Jesus stuff or it's going to get bad for you. And the church doesn't back down. They don't back off. They took those concerns straight to God saying, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants, please, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your son, Jesus Christ. They're asking bold stuff here, but not just for God to move. He's asking, move us. And after they prayed, that place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. Wow, did they ever. And you're here because of it. I want to experience that church. I do. The whole enchilada. I want God to come amongst us in a way this year that he hasn't quite come yet. That's what it means to keep growing. Not not in contrast to something he hasn't done, but that that's the next step and where he's leading us as a church to experience the outrageous here 
Because we were willing to be among the courageous here. He says the victory's already been declared. We just got to believe and be a part of it. In Joshua, the sun kept shining in the middle of the night. And at Calvary, the sun stopped shining in the middle of the day because your salvation was that outrageous. What would it look like in 2019 if we offered up big prayers and offered ourselves up as big servants for his sake? So let me just ask us, is this the year, finally, that you confess a sin that you have been struggling with? And just barely existing with. Is this the year that you start giving boldly? Is this the year that you start sharing your story with your neighbor? Is this the year that you man up and start being the spiritual leader God's called you to be? What would more courage look like for you this year? That's how I want to leave you. What would more courage look like specifically in your life this year? I'm going to ask you to stand, please, church. If you've got a specific area that you're thinking about, I'm going to ask now, in Jesus' name, Lord, would you hear these prayers? Because maybe, just maybe, one of my brothers or sisters needs courage to even ask for courage in this area. Let's just be quiet for just a few seconds, and then I'll close us in prayer. Ask the Lord to give you courage in that specific area. Father in heaven, we sense a stirring this morning. That this is more than just a, um, a sermon. This is a call to keep moving, keep going, keep growing. Thank you for where you've, you've brought us from. We have no idea what you're bringing us to. But we're asking you now, Father, would you give us courage to step into places and circumstances into people's lives We've been afraid to step into. Will you enable us, Father, with the power to break free from sins that have had our number and our name, it seems, for maybe even years? Would you equip us to break free? Is that you, Spirit, that's stirring? Is that you that's calling? Would you give us, some of us need to step out right now and, and allow an elder or, or myself or someone to pray around them and over them so that, that this prayer doesn't just go between me and God. It goes up with family. Like, like Raymond said, we're, we're going to do this together. Are you stirring us to do that, God? Would you, would you give us the courage to do that? And Father, if you brought someone here today who, who doesn't want to go another day in 2019 without being known as a follower of Christ, that today is a day that they take that step to die to themselves, to let you have their sins in exchange for your righteousness, to have that washed away and have your spirit move in. Father, if they've been wanting to do that and they just simply haven't had the courage, would you help nudge them with that courage to get started today? We're listening and we're asking for big things, Father, in our lives. Big things for this church, big things for ourselves, big things for this community. Father, would you come? We're going to go ahead and ask boldly in our marriages in a way that we've never experienced marriage. 
Would you come and enable these parents in this room to be able to, to make decisions and choices that would enable them to mentor and lead their children like they've never had before? Would you equip our elders to see you and know you in a way that makes its way through our entire church family? Would you help us all, Father, Catch a fresh glimpse, fresh wind, and fresh fire of who exactly your Holy Spirit is and how He can move and change in our lives. Would you, Father, not leave us the same as we walked into 2019? If there's a stirring within us, God, please give us courage to act on it. We ask it powerfully in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Let's sing.